Lord, that you have come to make us righteous forevermore. Thank you, Lord, that you've come to bring in a system where change is effortless, where uh, the new life is born and not copied. Thank you for that, my God. Holy Spirit, thank you that I can know that when I minister today, that people's lives and their hearts will be just ignited with your unconditional love, mercy and grace, where your nature is born in our everyday life as a doing, as your doing and not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> right, uh, today I want to just touch a little bit on the basics of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 5, and then I want to talk about um, the book of James. And I want to see, you know, um, <clears throat> I don't say I'm going to go through the whole book of James, not today, but in the next couple of Sundays. I want to explain the book of James, because it's a book that's not understood by many people. Uh, a couple of years ago I did put a... a a verse-by-verse -verse study on the book of James on my website. But as I just know more about the grace of God, I believe I can explain it even better. So, you know, the book of James talks about um, faith without works is dead. The book of James says things like, uh, count the joy when you go through hard times. You know, and it's difficult verses to understand from a platform of God's, of God's grace. <clears throat> but before I do that, I want to just... Um, talk a little bit about uh, creation. Why did God make us? Now, all of you know my message uh, where I said I believe God makes us so that He could have somebody to um, have fellowship with, that He can have a friend, you know. And the problem that I've seen is uh, in church we think God made man uh, for the number one purpose of having a servant. God did not make us he did not make mankind, he did not make Adam and Eve to have servants. Although they did do some things in the garden, they were to tend uh, uh, the garden and see that everything was going well there. Um, you know, I believe our, our understanding of the garden uh, is like this garden where you dig in the ground. No, when Adam left the garden, he went digging in the ground uh, when he was under the curse. So that garden is not a place where we serve God. That's not what the garden is all about. The garden was something completely different. I don't want to get deep into that now, but um, God did not make you or mankind for the purpose of serving Him. Just think of your relationship with your children. Why do you have kids? Do you have kids so you can have somebody to clean the garden? No. Do you have kids so that you can have somebody to wash the car? I know, don't say loud if you say yes. This is not to be answered, you know. <laughs> I got kids just to make coffee, that's all. But no, we, do, we don't have children for the purpose of having servants. Imagine we, uh, 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 you, you, you and your wife would come together and say, let's have kids so that somebody can worship us. There's something wrong with it. No, we're going to have kids so they can tell us every day on uh, how good we are and sing our praises and um, this is a hard die. I spiel what So we can't have kids for the purpose of singing our praises it, because there's something wrong with it and we know it in our innermost being that that is not right. 
We cannot have kids for that purpose. Imagine now saying, well, if they sing our praises enough, then we can even bless them more. And if they don't worship us, sing, praise, sing our praises, then there's a gap in our relationship. Uh, that's not normal. But that is what lies in the subconscious mind of so many people when it comes to us and God. We live with this thing all the time. You know, we get born, uh, we get into church, we get saved, and then we want to say, God, what is your purpose with me? What's my skipping's do? You know? Thinking, we, uh, uh, we want to discover what we must do for God. Thinking that God created me with a purpose to do something for Him. Like Paul said, he, he said, God separated me from my mother's womb for the gospel. Now, what does it mean? It doesn't mean God decided from, the, from when he was a child in his mother's womb to work for God. That was not it. He separated his from his mother's womb, meaning he separated him from his Jewish genealogy. Saying, you are not. The purpose that God had with Paul, the purpose that God has with you, is for you to have the revelation that we are not in the genealogy of the Gentiles or of the Jews, but that God made one new man before God, which is uh, uh, Jesus, and we are all in Christ. And then from there we have our relationship with God. You know, I just need to make this clear just for the people on the web. When I say, all people are in Christ. I'm not saying all people are saved. You know, I found that there are so many people uh, uh, on the web scrutinizing me, saying I'm an inclusionist because they're so scared somebody's going to get saved that might just not supposed to be saved. <laughs> you know, they're going to get saved. It's going to be too easy for them, you know. And I'm getting scrutinized all the time, you know. So I just have to say that for the people that listen. <laughs> My goodness. Jesus redeemed everybody. Okay, he paid for the sin of everybody. But everybody is not saved. Because everybody has not used what Christ has done. But we cannot take away the fact that Jesus made every person innocent before God. He did it. And uh, if, if you're going to be upset with that, you're going to be upset for a very long time. Because that is what God did. Uh, I'm only a messenger. Don't kill the messenger. If you're upset with somebody that could take away the sin of the whole world, you know, phone God, call Him in, and sort Him out. But that is what He did. He took away the sin of the whole world, and everybody stands innocent before God. And we are going around with a message of innocence. Amen. So when, when, God, when Christians come to Jesus, they all the time want to know, what must I do for God? What must I do for God? I do believe that we will do things in the kingdom of God. But that is not the reason why we were made. My kids will wash the car. They will help in the garden. Uh, uh, there Aubrey sits, he does the camera work. The other kids were carrying the stuff in, helping to put the stuff up. They do that. You know, they, they're my children. They, they will do it. But that's not why I've got them. The reason why I have children, I believe the reason why God had us, was to have somebody that could inherit His kingdom. He's not going to die. 
But if, if you want to talk put in our terms, why do we have kids? So that somebody can inherit everything we worked for. Isn't it? That's why. Plus, to have friends. Somebody that knows you and understand where you can deposit who you are into them and that you can have a friend. If I think of my kids, you know, um, I, I don't want to think of them in any other way but friendship. I want a friend in them. I want them, when they're out of the house, even while in the house, to just come and sit there and we talk and chat and make some jokes. And just share, I just share my heart, they share their heart. You know, that's it. Not even there with the purpose of trying to correct him or guide him all the time. Just to be a friend. And I believe that is one of the big reasons why God had man. To have a friend, to have somebody that is exactly like him, in his likeness, in his image, to share who he was with, to have somebody to fellowship with in his likeness, higher than the angels. That's why he made us. And I think one of the best times God ever had was when, uh, when it was the cool of the day, he came and walked with Adam in the garden. That's what I believe. I don't think that the highest time was, you know, trying to sort out problems. The best time was anything else but God coming and just, and the Afrikaans said so mooi, het gekom in die aandwinkie en gepraat met Adam, met hom gekeier, soos een vriend, soos wat jy by jou vriend een kopie koffie gaan drink en net gaan sit in gesels, jy weet, you don't want anything but his friendship and that's what God desired. You know, and that's why he made us. And uh, unfortunately, you know, Adam sinned, and then Jesus came, corrected it, and called us his friends in the book of John. His friends. So I want, I want you to do this. When you think of God, don't think of a master. Don't think of a boss. Is God the master? Yes. But the master is your friend. You know, um, I've got a, a, a somebody that works in, in our house, you know, and um, that cleans the house. Now, the relationship I have with her is, I'm the boss and she's the servant. She does a job, I pay her. Same with the guy that cleans the garden. He cleans the garden, I'm the boss, I'm friendly. It's not that I don't shout at him, I don't shout at her. I'm very friendly, but... It's not the same as my relationship with Andres. He's my friend. Will Andres sometimes come and help me do something, or will I help him do something? Of course. But it's not, we're not working for each other. We are friends. And there's a big difference. A servant, doesn't matter how much the servant obeys, the servant can never become a son. Impossible. He will just be an obedient servant. He will never be a son. And he will never have the benefits of sonship. Never. We have not been created to be God's servants. We will do, we will help in the kingdom of God. We will spread the gospel. We will do all those things. But that's not the number one purpose. The number one purpose of God was not to have somebody that he can correct all the day. Tell him, do this, do this, do this. Imagine what a boring life 
and what a frustrated, frustrating life it must be if my son calls me every 25 minutes asking me, Dad, is the next thing that I want to do your will or not? Oh, um, uh, uh, I'm going to the cafe now and I want to buy, uh, or I go to the shop, I want to buy a radio. Uh, Daddy, Daddy, is this your will that I've got the one with two speakers or the one with the four speakers? No, the, the one with the two speakers will be good. Okay, right. Then, uh, Daddy, um, you know, I just came home now. Sh should, I, should I go to the, what should I do now? Because I don't want to miss your will. That's sickening, man. I will just say something wrong with the boy. I, I, I will say something wrong with the boy or with the way I raised him. Because he's got a completely wrong concept of who I am. You know, if he phones me and says, Dad, I want to buy myself a radio, then it is my will that he gets the best one for him. And I want to see how I can help him to get it. That is a father-son relationship or a friendship relationship. You know, I've got a friend now, he wants to build himself a house. It's only two people in the house, 710 square meters. That's a nice big house for two people. Now, for me, for me that is too big house. You know, that's too big. I can't live in such a big house, not even with all my kids. But if that is what he wants, and I'm the friend, if I think it's going to harm him, I'll tell him. But if, that, if I see that's okay, that's his choice, what will I do? I'll be happy with him. And I will say, man, thank God that the money for this is provided and that you can have a nice big house. And you've got a big pool table and you've got everything, you've got a place to put it. And I'm so glad you're going to be happy because he's my friend. It's so much different than having a servant. God, you know, even if you're the master, if you've got slaves, it's not nice for you. That's it. It's not nice for you. You want a friend. And that, I believe that is why God made us. Um, mankind fell. Jesus restored it all. But unfortunately, the old servant message is still preached even in the church today. If I ask my friend and I, say, and I tell my friend, listen, I want you to do this or that, you know, um, it is said from the foundation of friendship. If a slave reads it, he will say, do you see that friendship has also got commandments? Because people take the, book, the letters of Paul and the letters of James and Peter and they look at the commands given in the letter, but then they read it from the perspective of a slave and they say, you see, there is grace and then there is obedience. But it was written to mankind from the perspective of friendship. Like a good advice, like a revelation of who you are. Not in what you must do to get God to smile over your life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 to 21. It says, let's talk a little bit about the restoration process here. It says, for the love of Christ constrains us because we, judge, we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now, just the, 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 the context of 2 Corinthians here, it talks about Jews and Gentiles. It says, if Jesus died for the Jew and the Gentile, then the Gentile died and the Jew died. So there's no more Jew or Gentile. That's a big problem today in the church and in, and in interpreting scripture. Because if you want to see Jew and Gentile, you're going to be 
have a problem. Um, because then you're going to say some stuff's for the Jews, some stuff's for the Gentiles. Your whole end time theology is going to be messed up. But listen to what he says to you. God, he killed both in Jesus. And that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yes, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth know we him like that no more. So he said, we knew Christ after the flesh, but we don't know Christ after the flesh anymore. We don't know any man after the flesh anymore. What does that mean? That means I don't see Jew or Gentile, or I don't judge a person based on the flesh manifesting in his life. I can't judge him like that anymore. We even knew Christ after the flesh. In other words, they said, we saw Jesus as a Jew. But we don't see him as a Jew anymore. We see him as the representative of the whole world. Amen. So we even today, we don't want to see Christ after the flesh. We want to see what he did for every man. We don't want to know our own lives according to the flesh. What, what is flesh? Flesh is the, your human ability to be like God by obeying rules and regulations. You don't want to know yourself by your own flesh. You don't want to know your neighbor by his flesh. You don't even want to know Christ by the flesh. We know no man after the flesh, but we know every man after the Spirit. And what is the Spirit? The Spirit is the message of the innocence of all people, where people can stand in the justification and righteousness of God by simple belief in what Jesus Christ has done. Yesterday I want to put this thing on Facebook, but I knew it was a bit too radical. The gospel is not about how you the gospel is not the message of how you must have faith. That is not what the gospel is about. I'm not saying that we will not have faith. I'm not saying that we don't need faith to have access into the grace, but the gospel is not about how you must have faith. The gospel is a message that produces faith. It's a message about your innocence. It's a message about how God paid for you. Amen. It's a fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5 clearly says, faith is a fruit of the Spirit. So when you preach the gospel, the Spirit message, not the flesh message. Unfortunately, so many times when we read the Bible, we interpret it according to the flesh. According to, where do I stand? You know, have I measured up? No, no, it's not a flesh message, it's a Spirit message. And if you want to understand it, you need to interpret it in the Spirit. Spirit meaning God's doing on your behalf. Amen. That is the Spirit. Right. So, it says here that they don't know anybody like that. So, what is a simple gospel? Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Now, I want to just explain the Greek here. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ. The word if there um, is the word since. Not the word if. The translators were scared to translate it the way it's written. It says, therefore, since every man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. The law system, the circumcision system, man's doing to be righteous before God has all passed away and all are become new. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. 
and has given unto us the ministry of this reconciliation to witness that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself. How? By not imputing their trespasses unto them and is committed unto us this word of God is not imputing anybody in the whole world's trespasses against them. So, listen to this. Everything became new. The old things passed away, all became new. What, what did they understand? The old things was the old law system, the old Jew-Gentile system, the old system of measure up and qualify. It has passed away. And since we are in Christ, we are a new creature. A new, that word creature is actually the word creation. We've been recreated because of Christ. So, when Adam sinned, everybody was created into a being that's justified by his works. But when Jesus rose from the dead, everybody was recreated into a being that is justified by faith. Okay, so, everybody became new in this sense that they are not the kind of person that is justified by works anymore. They're not designed for it. They're not made for it. They don't stand under that system at all. They don't, they're not made and designed to be judged by how you look, what you wear, where you stay. Do you get a promotion or not? We've not been designed for that. That's why that kind of life hurts so much. Will we have a job? Yes. Can we look good? Yes. But we don't judge ourselves by those things anymore. We've not been designed for it. We became a new kind of being. With a kind of being that's justified by faith. Amen. And that is what Jesus Christ came to do. To make a brand new man by reconciling the whole world unto himself. By not imputing the trespasses against them. So we go with a message of God is not imputing your trespasses against you. You know how easy it is to share that message at a party? It's so easy. Do you know how easy it is to tell it to your friends? God has reconciled the whole world. Then it goes on and it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as through God, did, as though God did besiege you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled unto God. Meaning, God reconciled the whole world unto Himself. Simple way now is, receive this reconciliation. Believe in this reconciliation, so that you can be saved from the condemnation that you walk in. Amen. That is the simple gospel. So God came, took away the old, brought the new, the new is the system of sonship. My goodness. The Bible says a child is under tutors and governors and differs nothing from a slave until the appointed time of the father. And the appointed time of the father was when he was placed as a son. Let me explain that. In the, in the Jewish culture, according to what I read there, this is how it worked. You had sons, children. This children was under the law of the father. You know, just treat it like a slave. He just worked for the dad. That's all he did. It's like a small child in your house. Dundit, Mark Sue, Dundit. You know, that's all. But the moment he becomes grown up, there's a time when the dad says, This is not my child. This is my son. Meaning, I see him as my equal. 
He enters into that friendship relationship. Now, Paul comes and he uses the, the, the child uh, 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 analogy to the law. And he uses when Christ came as sonship. Okay? So that we who believe in Jesus, we're not children under tutors and governors talking about the law. We are sons which entered into the friendship, a friendship relationship, equality with the Almighty. Now I've come to realize, you know, the Bible says Jesus will come back to earth. Okay? He'll come back to earth. And He will be here. This is how I believe it. He'll be here forevermore. This earth will be made new. It will be glorified according to Romans 8. Uh, we will be glorified. The earth will be glorified. Christ will live here with us on the earth. His passion is to be with you. We are God's heaven, man. We are God's heaven. If He thinks of heaven, He thinks of you. If we think of heaven, we think of a place where we float around. Really? And we just want to go to heaven. Yes, if you die, you go to heaven. But then the Bible says, Jesus will come. And those who died, you know, will be raised again. And He will come to earth with everybody. To live in a glorified place. Because you must remember, you've got a physical body. You need a physical place to stay in. And this earth is physical. It will just be glorified. It will be like heaven on earth. Amen. That was even the prayer of the, fa the, the our Father prayer. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says He's coming back to earth. So the reason why I say this is just for you to see your value. You're God's heaven, man. He's absolutely captivated with you. He loves you um, so, so much. You know, so, and, and you want to come and, and re restore that. That's what He did. Now, when we go to James chapter 1... Um, I had to lay that foundation. Then we're going to go to James chapter 1 for the next 15 minutes and just explain it. It says in chapter 1 verse 1, James, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. This was written to the Jews that were persecuted for the gospel. It was twelve tribes that were scattered. Okay. Um, I believe but they lived in different towns everywhere. They were scattered. They did not. Uh, uh, they got the gospel in these little towns, you know. And then, as the persecution arose more and more against Christians, these people that James wrote to, these Jews that believed in Jesus, Christian Jews, were thinking of going back to Judaism because they were really suffering. This is very important to understand, James. They were persecuted for the gospel. Okay? They were persecuted for the gospel. Now it goes on. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, that can sound like such a difficult, hard verse. Because it sounds as if we can preach that if God wants you to have patience, He will bring persecution or temptation. And then when you're tempted, you know, then you will get patience. Which is wrong. 
that is not what that verse um, actually says. It says, My brethren, count it all joy. It, in, in the Greek, that word count means, let joy lead. Okay? And what happened in the book of Hebrews, it says, And Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. So what it's actually saying to them there is, Look at the joy that's set before you. The joy set before you is Christ will return, you will have an immortal body, and you will live on this planet forevermore in the kingdom of God. Look at the joy set before you. Because they were looking at the persecution that they were in. Forgetting about the joy that's set before them. Even when we are in university. This is just a, such a practical uh, explanation. When you're in university and you don't want to study, what makes you study? The joy of getting the degree and a good job. You look at, you think of, you, 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 you envision, you see yourself finishing, getting your degree, applying for the job you always wanted, and you get it. And that joy that's set before you produces patience in you. Amen. So I want to say this. Um, when he says here, uh, uh, count it all joy, doesn't mean be happy when your car breaks. This has got nothing to do with a car that breaks, a bank machine that doesn't work, a loan that doesn't come through, wind that comes and breaks your house roof or anything. It's got nothing to do with the things of this world. It's every, the context is persecution being tempted to go back to the Jewish system, denying Christ, get it, denying your salvation. He says, don't do that. Rather, look at the joy before you. Because when you look at joy before you, let joy lead. That's what it says in the Greek. Let the leading be joy. And that will produce a, a patience. And then, how do you continue in patience? By continuing to look at the joy. And as you continue to look at the joy, you'll find that this patience that you have unto the return of Christ, you will find He will come back. And when He comes back, you will be complete, lacking nothing. You will not lack uh, immortality. That's what it was actually the context written there. So we can't say, count it all joy when your boss shouts at you. My goodness, that's not what it means. Sometimes when your boss doesn't treat you right, you need to go to the uh, uh, union and sort him out. Don't just count the joy. If you're ill-treated in this world in a certain way, my goodness, you don't have to sit with it all your life and use that scripture out of context and say, well, you know, let God's water maar oor God's akker loop, dan kom God's vruchte op. No. No. That's not what that verse means. The context is the return of Christ and denial of Jesus. Amen. Another thing that I can say is, if you are tempted to go back to the law, it means one thing. You're still in the grace message. Isn't it? You're still in the right gospel. <laughs> That's why Jesus said, you know, if people persecute you for righteousness sake... Not for Moses' sake. You know, I get people, they write me stuff, you know, <laughs> they say to me, this guy will come and give the biggest law message, like this one guy, he just sends me text message upon text message upon text message. You know, of just, he's harassing me. That's, you know, he's, he's from the SDA church. 
He's just harassing me. So I said to him, listen, man, if you don't stop this, you know, your phone is recorded. I'm going to give you over to the police because this is too, it's now for one year. I'm getting tired of this guy. You know what he says? He says he'll be persecuted for righteousness sake. He's not persecuted for righteousness sake. He'll be persecuted for stupidity. <laughs> and harassing somebody. That's not for righteousness sake. If you're persecuted for righteousness sake, it's because you are preaching that Jesus Christ through His blood brought righteousness as a free gift, free from your works, and you cannot add anything to it by your works or your conduct at all. A good conduct is a result of this righteousness believed. If you are persecuted for that, then be happy. Be happy for Jesus was killed for bringing such a message. All the apostles were murdered for that message. And Jesus said that we are not higher than Him. And if, if, if they did it to Him, they can do it to us. We know we are in the true gospel. Amen. Th that, that's it. So, and we find people accepted. We've, Jesus said, if they accept me, they'll accept you. If they reject me, they'll reject you. Even on my trip to Europe, people accepted me in the gospel, others rejected and it's like that in South Africa and Zambia, everywhere you go. That's the way it is. So, when it talks about this, don't think it talks about your washing machine that broke for the fifth time. Your washing machine is old. Get another one. Okay. L listen to this. My brethren, count, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. That word trying there is the Greek word trustworthiness of your faith. Now, we've always uh, seen that verse as my faith must be strong enough that it's trustworthy. But if you study it out, that's not what it means. The trustworthiness of our faith is not determined in how hard you believe, but in how trustworthy what you believe is. Okay. <laughs> so it says here that uh, the, the trustworthiness of our faith. So it says, count it all joy. Let joy lead for the trustworthiness of what you believe in will produce patience. In other words, let's go back to university. You study. You've seen so many uh, kids study before you. shouldn't say kids. I'm becoming older now people universiteit persoon is nou a kind van my, ek word oud ok we've seen so many young people go through they study, they get their degree they get their job they study, they, or they go overseas, they do you see it so many times now that is really something that you can believe in it's been proven, it is the truth you know that should you study, you're going to get your degree if you, if you pass in the same way, it's a, in, in the same way that that is a trustworthy thing to believe in, it's trustworthy to believe in what Jesus Christ has done. For we can see He became a human being. He took away our sins. He rose uh, and sits at the right hand of the Father in bodily form. You know, we look at that. That is the trustworthiness of our faith. The trustworthiness of our faith is not how much you believe because if your faith must be trustworthy on the basis of how strong your belief is it is not trustworthy because the one day you will say oh glory to God the next day you will say where's the God of grace 
When James talked about the trustworthiness of faith, he talked about the trustworthiness of Jesus. He says, count it all joy. Let joy lead. Another way of saying what James was saying there, which would be the very same thing, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. For who He is, and looking at what He's done, shall produce in you the patience to believe in the grace message until Jesus comes. That's what it says. Okay? So, um, if, we can, if we can just realize that that is what, what this verse is about, it will be so much easier, the whole book of James, to understand it. Let me just touch on one more verse here. And uh, on Sundays we'll just go through it. Um, verse. You must realize as well that I put in here, uh, trust the wisdom of faith is not based on your heart faith, but on what makes the faith worthy, which is correct information, what Jesus has done. The Bible says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Okay? The word temptation means, it says they count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. The word temptation there means to be drawn to evil. What is evil? The word evil means, and I've said it so many times here, the word evil in the Greek means to be full of labor and overburdened with works. So when you're tempted, it doesn't mean, you know, there's a, 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 a new... A new, a new liquidizer will be marked, and now you're thinking, you feel tempted to buy this thing. That's not temptation, man. That's just wanting to buy a liquidizer. The temptation that this thing is talking about here doesn't even talk about going, doing a wrong thing, stealing money, or something like that. That's not what it talks about. The temptation means to be drawn into evil. Evil means to be defined by your works. Okay, when you're tempted to be defined by what you possess, then you might, have, from that temptation, when you fall into it, it might give birth to a desire to go and steal the liquidizer. Because you feel, if I've got a better liquidizer, I'm a better person. The temptation is to fall into the law justification system which says you are blessed if you look like this, if you possess this, if this. That's the temptation. So these people were tempted to go back to the law system to be accepted in society. They were kicked out of the synagogue. Now for a Jew to be excommunicated like that was terrible. You know what? Nobody does business with you. And that was important for the Jew. Nobody will do business with you. Nobody will talk to you. If you touch them, they'll go through a cleansing process. Because you're so dirty. Imagine that rejection. Amen. But now they come again with a law system, with a mixture message of law and grace, trying to portray a message of how beautiful it would be to go back to Judaism and law righteousness to be accepted by people. And this is exactly what, this, what he's talking about here. So, temptation is not defined in uh, a lust for a thing. Temptation first comes 
to be drawn into I'm justified by what I possess and what I do. When you fall into that temptation, it gives birth to sins, which could be anything you then do, be it a good or a bad thing, to have that. I end off with this, with this example. Imagine you go and you say, I am the blessed of God. Uh, we, we just spoke to somebody about this, about a person that is a Christian, but it's so important, you know, to have a beautiful car and a beautiful house and all those things. I'm not saying you cannot have it, but that is important. And, and I remember the charismatic move, it was preached. How are you ever going to win the, the, the world if, you don't, if you're not rich? I'm talking about that mentality. Okay, I also thought that. I preached that. I said, God, make me rich because how the world, look at their sound systems. Look at their cars. The world's not impressed with your car because he's already got the car. What they're impressed with is, even if you can have nothing, that you're happy. Because that they can't have. Now, many Christians don't want to hear that because they thought, I've got at least some point to get God to give me something now. Listen, listen. If you want something, ask God. He gives it to you. Finished. Just ask Him. Say, Lord, I would like to live in such a house or I would like... Ask your Father. Amen. He's your friend. He can bring forth desires and give you the desires. But what you don't need to do is think that that thing determines who you are. So like this, like we would imagine that now. Now you think, okay, you are, you are tempted by evil. What is the evil? The evil is to think, should I live in such a house? Then I'm the blessed of God. Now, what would the sin be? Anything you do to get the house. Even if it's sowing money to the church to get more money. Even if it is helping the poor so that you can get a breakthrough in somebody else's life so that they can see what you do to sponsor you more to have the thing. Even if it's good deeds. The best deed is qualified as sin if it's born from evil. Which is, uh, which is to be overburdened with law system. So in the New Testament... Everything finds a new definition. Evil finds a new definition. Uh, works finds a new definition. Obedience got a new definition. Obe obedience, according to Hebrew, means to embrace something. If you obey God, you embrace grace. That's obedience in the New Testament. Amen. Hallelujah. We'll go on next Sunday. Father, I want to thank you <clears throat> that you are such a good God. And I know that uh, every day... We can be tempted by the things of this world, by people, by situations. And we know that the evil one wants to bring the message of judgment where we judge ourselves by the length of the branches, by, by our ability and the manifestation of our ability in this world. But thank you, my God, that you've come to make us strong. We know that you have made us to be your friends. You've made us to be loved by you. You've made us to, 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 to be the one that talks to you in the cool of the day. Not phoning you every five minutes asking you, is it your will, is it your will? 
thank you, my Father, that you came and corrected what uh, Adam did in, in Jesus. You corrected it in Christ. You, you completely took away our guilt. You gave us a brand new life. You made all of us a new kind of a man. The per kind of a person that's not justified by works, but is justified by belief, resting of mind in you. And thank you, my God, that, that we can know that in the war we stand in today, which is a war to keep on believing the simplicity of the gospel and not fall into what I must do to get bigger faith, what I must do to get a bigger breakthrough, what I must do to get the gospel to work, or anything like that. Thank you, Lord, that in that war you strengthened us by a deep understanding of who you are and how much you love us. Holy Spirit, that you remind us continually of Jesus and what we have freely received. I pray for every person here that might be going through a hard time, that might feel they're defined um, by certain situations. You know, I just feel like a word of knowledge. <clears throat> um, there's somebody here, you feel so defined by relationship. Relationships, you know. Um, if you have, a, if you have a, a, a girlfriend or you have a boyfriend and uh, maybe some of your relationships has not worked out and you feel, what's wrong with me? If I can have one that works, then I am blessed. Then I am. But in the meantime, deep in your heart, you would rather be without a relationship, not in a relationship for a while. But this thing of, you must make it work and then you know there's not something wrong with you, is killing you. I, be I believe the Lord says, there's nothing wrong with you. I've paid for your sins. I've made you innocent. And don't fall into the temptation. Look at the joy set before you. Perfection is in the return of Christ in this world. So if you see an imperfection in this world, don't be tempted to fix it and judge yourself by fixing it, says the Lord. Just make your desire known to me and rest in my person I'll bring it forth for you you don't have to fix this is an imperfect world and if you want to see perfection manifesting here you're going to be frustrated all the time look at let joy lead you thank you father I just pray for that person and I bring healing in their in their hearts in their emotions I thank you, my God, all the hurt of the past and all those kind of things has been taken away in Jesus because of the new identity that you give in Christ. They're a new person. They don't relate. They don't know themselves according to the flesh anymore. Thank you, Father, for your great love. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, I also pray for all the people watching over the internet, uh, in all the countries all over the world. I thank you, my God, especially the people that's not in a church or that has left the church because they cannot sit under condemnation that feels lonely, that feels, I don't know what to do, I feel so lonely. I thank you, Father, that you do a miracle in their lives. You link them up with people that's like-minded. You bring like-minded people to them, draw them to them. In the mighty name of Jesus, I feel such a compassion for them, my Father. I thank you that you do it for them. I thank you, Lord, that I can pray for the little church 
uh, in Germany that we planted there. I thank you that I can pray for, for Mike and Mariki and that you do, you just I encourage them, you, you lift them up, my God. And, um, and the, the work that you're doing in Belgium and, and in Zambia and, and here with us. Thank you, my Father, that these people are all encouraged uh, in your gospel, continuing in the unconditional love of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, that our faith is trustworthy because of you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.